Hello, Ani. Welcome. Episode six, Communities of Wealth. Woohoo. I am back. I'm back. I'm back. So as you all know, Shana Pelche, Nishnabekwe, we're coming from unsafe territory, killing it here, co-facilitating with Thea. <laughs> Ani, bonjour. I'm Thea Belanger. And uh, yeah, we're recording right now in the, the heart of Toronto. And uh, we're really excited for our new guest on our next episode. Yeah. Um, so if you could introduce yourself, Jermaine, please. Hey, Ani Bourjou. I'm Jermaine Henry. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to be here. Yeah. So tell us some about, like a little bit about yourself. You're a musician. You're a powerful speaker. You have your own <laughs> brand. <laughs> yeah. Tell us some of your, some of the hot takes. For sure. So um, yeah, it's so interesting. Jermaine Henry is the brand. And it's, it's funny. Recently, someone said to me, we're, we're at a hip hop healing. I have this hip hop healing uh, initiative we started. And uh, one of his like um, alter egos, and like, oh, what's your rap name or whatever? I'm like, it's Jermaine Henry. Because <laughs> the government name is really the fake name. It's not my real name. My spirit is like unnamed um, so far. But I named my company JermaineHenry.ca and the CA stands for a change agency. So I'm a consultant. I'm a coach. I'm MC, facilitator. Um, and for me, it's how do we create braver spaces so we can have meaningful change happen in the world? And my definition of braver, it's an acronym, bold, real, accountable, vulnerable, expressive relations. So... Yeah, that's kind of my thing. It's like hip hop and philanthropy. Wow. Yeah. Very, you're a very impactful speaker. Very passionate. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so how did you, you as a person and your story, your passions come to get intertwined with OIP? It's funny. It's, it's Thea. Uh, it's a funny story in the belly of the beast. That's when we first met. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the governor general's uh, mansion, Reddle Hall, um, four R's brought us in to do some conversations. I was facilitating a conversation with residents, residential school survivors and some some students. And yeah, I just remember walking into Red Hall and seeing all these pictures, all these colonizers and like the cognitive dissonance was ridiculous. <laughs> Gold walls. Yeah. It's like, huh? And I'm like, we're supposed to have what conversation? With who? Bizarre. It was very bizarre. And they had also like a press conference, whatnot, um, around the TRC, 94 Calls to Action. And yeah, I remember Thea was there. And then after, which is cool, we're in a hotel right now. After we're chilling in the hotel. And that's when we got to link up and and some medicinal type activities. It was really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and it's funny. I'm glad you went back that far too. Because like we've had so many interactions with each other over the years too. It was like where we running into each other in the same spaces. And so I'm really glad that that's happened over the last few years. And now here we are. You're like on episode six of our really fresh podcast. <laughs> episode six in the six. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> and with OIP specifically, what's so cool is I've seen OIP doing work, whatnot. Um, so I work with, uh, I found I co-founded an organization or a grassroots group called Young Leader Circle. And with Young Leader Circle, we're uh, um, a network of, Black and Indigenous people of color, young leaders that are just trying to make a change. We're trying to learn, grow, and share together. So through those projects, uh, through like Cece, she's what kind of introduced us to OIP because we're doing a um, a showcase. Um, so there's so many different initiatives I'm doing, but we had the Young Leaders Circle. And then out of the Young Leaders Circle, um, we created a, a arts collective I Believe Dreamers. So I have a book that I, I did in 2019 called I Believe Dreams, a vision, a vision Guide. And when the pandemic started, 
we're just so isolated, right? So it's like, how can we come together? So I brought together some creatives from Thunder Bay, Sault Ste. Marie, Boating, and Toronto. And Cece was one of the people that was part of it. And towards, um, and I think it was like October of 2020, um, we we're doing a showcase, I Believe Dreamer Showcase, with a Dreamcatchers concert with Sound Syndrome. So we needed a bit of extra money. And Cece's like, hey, OEP is really cool. They're awesome. It's a really easy application. It's so easy. And it really was very easy of application. And we just told our story. And that was the first funds that we got. And, and we got one other since then. So that was like the introducing to like OIP officially. And so how is it, you mentioned the application, like how was it for you to apply for OIP, you know, in comparison to the other applications that you've run into or working with these other types of granting organizations? So even with Young Leader Circle, we had a, a youth opportunity fund grant that we got 2017-18. Um, and imagine spending 30, 40 hours to write a grant, right? Yes. Asking all these questions and like, yeah, it was really like just cryptic and like um, you have to go through their portal. You have to do all these just different things that's really awkward. When it was OIP, it was like, okay, it was Here's pretty your- much the five Ys and the H. <laughs> like it was like- <laughs> <laughs> Almost literally. literally <laughs> almost literally, exactly, right? So I just had a conversation with Cece and I was like, okay, this is the kind of the plan. And Cece was able to, we just had a Google Doc. We just wrote it like that and- <laughs> I don't here, know. That's kind of where here happened. we are. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, because like, you know, you talk about being, you know, you're a musician and you're also very deeply tied to philanthropy as well, right? And so I think that's kind of like some of those questions around, like, we both have experienced that spending those weeks on end trying to apply for granting dollars, and it is absolutely exhausting. And then you have to go through those reporting aspects as well. We just went through a whole bunch of talking about reporting on our last episode. And, um, you know, I know that you know how that is as well of just like trying to like navigate these spaces and answer these questions that don't make any sense as it, as it relates to the work that you're doing or you as a human being. Um, and so I want to kind of like open up some conversation around like some of those, those uh, experiences that we've been having, you know, because I know you and I have some shared experiences as well. We've connected a few times on some very specific things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of want to open up that conversation a little bit just to speak about like, what is it like for you in these in these spaces? And um, you said something to me recently that has really struck a chord with me. And that was, you said that you, you're in the space of, of um, gaining power now. And I wanted to see if you could explain that a little bit. Yeah, it's, and even a story that I didn't even tell you, this one's pretty cool, is before Young Leader Circle, before we got the Youth Opportunity Fund, and I'm so glad that everything happened, so it's, this, this is going to be fine, there's no conflict of interest, but um, we were hired by their staff, the Youth Opportunity Training staff, to do work through my company. Because to me, I see myself as a service provider <laughs> to these foundations. I don't actually see myself as a grantee. Of course, we do grants, we do that kind of thing, but for me, it's like, no, I am, you need us. You have deliverables that you cannot actually face. I have connection to the community. I have um, skills that offer for community and value in the community. And you need that, you know? So to me, that was upfront. Even before we were in the midst of applying and literally their application was in and they had to, they had to keep it away from, that's why I had to go through my company and not Young Leader Circle. I had to go through my company and we facilitated a, a cultural competency training with them before we even got a grant. You know, so I've always kind of had that kind of perspective in it. And even when it comes to, to reporting with 
with YOF, I was like, and we have to work with student commission to do evaluation. I was like, no, we're not going to do surveys. We're going to record our own podcast and you can transcribe it and you make your report out of that. So it's like... (laughs) There you go. Thea precedent exists somewhere (laughs) for that method. There's so much that I connect with in that because like you said service provider and I had to write it down because I'm like, I want to come back to that because you you've said a few things to me where you basically flip the narrative, right? And it's something that really hasn't occurred to me like as a person in the work. And that's a really hard thing to do, but it's really inspiring to see that because it's like, you look at yourself as being a service provider to these organizations, not a grantee. What? Like, like <laughs> that is awesome. And I love that idea. And like, how do we, I don't know, how do we shift that? Like, I'm just kind of like geeking out about that right now. And I actually, it's so funny. I, uh, I, attribute, I attributed my confidence, my perspective to hip hop. And I think that's what hip hop has always been about is like, hip hop came out of actually in the 1970s. And it was, what's insane is hip hop's coming in the Reagan area, 1970s, where there's crack epidemic, war on drugs, whatnot, so much poverty, so much um, degradation in the community, especially in Bronx, what's going on. Melly Mel is this famous song like, broken glass everywhere. And it's out of that, even though right before in the late 60s, they assassinated all of our black leaders. Martin Luther King got assassinated. Malcolm X got assassinated. The Black, the black Panther Party got assassinated. All these things, yet we don't let that stop us, right? It's like, okay, what are we going to create of it? Now, out of like uh, a house party at uh, Cedric Ave, what is it, 1520 Cedric Ave in 1973, we were going to run parties with DJ Cool Herc. But then now it's like, no, we can actually make some money out of these parties. Or no, we can do a record. Now, hip-hop is a multi-billion dollar industry and it's the most influential thing on the planet right now because we don't see ourselves as the victims. We see ourselves as empowering, right? It's like hip-hop is all about shifting your narrative. You know, it's intelligent movement. And I think I'm kind of bringing that into philanthropy, you know, in a way. And um, hopefully that people can pick that up and be inspired so they can see themselves and see how they can recreate their own narrative and community to create more... um, well-being and wealth, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's why I attribute shifting that perspective to like the narrative is through the arts and hip hop. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, hearing this, it's, it's incredible, the stance that you have now and the perspective you have now. Have you always held this perspective and had this bravery or did that have to develop like this pushback against the types of things that these, you know, organizations are asking of you mm-hmm. because they're the powerful one. And you know what? You should be grateful that they're giving you this money. Mm-hmm. Like, did that, was that a journey for you being like, oh, yes, please. And then being actually, you know what? <laughs> let's flip the script. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's, because like, yeah. I think, you know, people are going to hear you as such a powerful person. But that, you know, leaders take, leaders develop over time. time. Yeah. It takes time. I would, Where did you start and how did that process? Definitely been that shy guy for sure. For sure. I think like, and also I, I couldn't speak like this. I may have, I've always, to tell you the truth, I've, I've had the thoughts maybe, but I, I never, didn't, definitely didn't have the voice. I also wasn't developing, I wasn't as articulate. Also really suffering from depression. Like I really deep depression and, and still doing in the things in community and having this codependent behavior where it's like, no, I'm just going to do whatever I can to help. The amount of work that I've done in this, in this sector that people have seen me, I've done so much work for free where I'm, I'm piss poor. I'm literally piss poor. Remember me and JV, my one of my business partners with Spoken Heard, we literally are in the basement and we're doing workshops. 
We're doing retreats. We're doing all these things where I remember we were doing retreats, five-day retreat uh, for youth mental health and getting paid $1,500 for two of us. And what we did also is we created a, a short film out of that thing and everything. And we we're all happy just to do it for the thing, right? Yeah, and that's we didn't the speak way. anything. Yeah, that's the way, right? We didn't speak on it at all, right? And all these years we'd apply for grants, we didn't get them. Youth Opportunity Fund, I've never got a youth opportunity fund through my own organization. I've always weaseled through someone else, and that's how I got the funding and whatnot. So yeah, we we played the game a lot. And for me, it, it's been a journey of playing the game and then observing the sector, finding different ways of loopholes to be able to provide what we're doing. But then one day, I don't even know what, what it was that switched, but I was like, I am the community. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. literally, I'm a young Black person that suffers from mental illness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how, like I, am, I am who you need to be helping out. Yet, I, because it was times we got a, only grants that we got was from Artreach Toronto. And we got a grant to do uh, known this known project. It was like arts and life arts and life skills uh, for young people. One it was in, with young people in Richmond Hill, and then we did one in, in Rexdale. And I'm 24, 25, trying to like help out these youths. But now I'm like, yo, I don't even know how I'm paying my rent. I'm not even taken care of. I'm astray. So wait a second. How I need it because all the funding it didn't even go to me. It was like, oh, how are we gonna do this for the kids? How are we gonna do that? And I'm like, wait a second. If I'm not taken care of, actually, I think definitely this is where this thought came. I was in this uh, training with uh, youth recs and it was on youth workers. And uh, Donovan Samuels, this man, this black man, dreadlock, he's a really cool guy. He's like, um, until like a hurt person can't really hurt. You can't, you can't really help someone when you're so hurt. Like if you're so hurt and you're bleeding, you're bleeding on them. How are you really going to help them? And not to say that we're all healing on the whole journey. It's not going to be everyone's like, you're whole. But at the same time, I really took that back. And I don't know if people necessarily notice, and it's cool, they don't have to notice about me, but I took years that I stepped back and I wasn't in the public eye because I had to take care of myself. And that's where I went and I did a lot of shadow work. I did a lot of work on myself and building my confidence, building my skills and figuring out who I am, working in my art and those kind of things. And once I did that and build also relationships on the low with people, that's where I got more of my power. That's where I got more of my perspective because now I'm not reliant on this the philanthropy for my funding. I'm I'm consult. I get paid by consulting. I get paid for performing. <laughs> I get paid for facilitating. Right. So that's what gives me the confidence now to speak to powers whatnot. Right. Is because I'm not reliant on them. You know. And yeah. So that's kind of how I'd say I've kind of grew into this level of. Um, yeah, this perspective. Yeah. This powerhouse. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you're you're very established at this point. Like what sort of advice do you give those young people who are just looking at an application for the first time with an idea, maybe, now that you have this wisdom? Mm-hmm. We're just beginning their journey to finding their voice to be able to push back and know that, you know, they need you too, you know. Yeah. Supposedly they're here to help or, you know. For sure. So <laughs> For sure. I would say um, find a mentor. Like, I think that's the biggest thing is like, the, the strength that I have isn't because it's me, it's because of the community around me. That's why. And, it, and also with certain conversations, I leverage my mentors. <laughs> I, I bring them in to be able to have these conversations. And yeah, I, w- I would definitely say that is like, who do you know that's in the field that, that's doing what you want to do? Talk to them and maybe they can help you out with the application 
or maybe you can find, um, maybe you can actually work with someone else, with an organization. Because a lot of, before JermaineHenry.ca, I've been working with so many different organizations and going through them and building and building and learning from them. And then I take that learning and then I put it into an application. Um, so that's what I would say is like find a mentors and work with them. And, um, and then also with your ideas, know that fail forward. <laughs> the first idea is not going to be a good idea. <laughs> Guaranteed to try. Like I had a really a lot of bad ideas. I failed so many times. Like it's like, it's almost embarrassing, but it's not now. Now it's not embarrassing for me because I understand that that youthful ambition that I had, that naivete that I had actually propelled me forward to here and gave me so many learning lessons. So if you don't, if you don't act, then you won't, there's nothing to learn from. You're just going to be in your head and you're just going to be wondering what can you do, what can you do? And um, so that's how I would say is like, find a mentor and then act on your idea and don't, uh, this is why I say your vision your vision, it will never actually turn out to be what the actual vision is. But your vision will point you in the direction that you want to go. Oh, my God. I it, There's so many things that like strike me and everything that you shared. And like I have very similar feelings around like my unapologeticness at this point of like uh, this growth phase of, of going through. I, I relate very much to like not having that language. Yeah. Because like that was a big thing for like I think for me and even for like some of this work that we were doing around reconciliation and the closing of the TRC five years ago, we actually didn't have the language to speak about some of the things that we were feeling and experiencing at that point. At least I felt that way. I don't think I felt like I knew how to put into words the extra traumas that were happening or all those extra things that were happening around that time. And now we're in the space where we do have those languages. We do have words for them and we can name that ghost in the room. Mm. You know, many ghosts in the room. There's many ghosts <laughs> in the room. And being able to see the complicity across different, like throughout different systems and how those systems are informing different organizations, because I think it's, you know, like colonization, TRC, residential schools, but that's closed or that's over, you know, but we're the philanthropic sector. It's like, well, the violences and the harms are still being perpetuated within the philanthropic sector because of the way it's set up. And so, like, when you think about that, what are some of the ways that maybe you felt exploited in the past that when you reflect on is a wisdom that you can offer young people sort of getting into this field to protect themselves? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, it's right. It's like, um, it's all by design, right? (laughs) Like, it's literally how how this thing has been built. (laughs) You know, like, if, if, if the state really were to give us all the resources and um, and support for us to actually solve, you know, how to end poverty or homelessness and those things, we wouldn't be relying on the state and the state wouldn't have as much power, right? And also if if they told the truth of like how, how all this stuff is started, then we would lose trust in the state, right? And then they would lose power. And, th- and that's where I, I forget, the always forget the third pillar, but the government has actually only stands because of three things. Actually, I think I know it now. And one is, uh, is economics. It's because of resources, right? Resources and the resources they extract from our mother earth, right? Then it's um, military <laughs> force, right? But then it's trust in the people. So I think for me, I, I feel exploited every single day. <laughs> like, you know, like every single day. In it. And then when it comes more specifically to like the philanthropic sector is... Um, over and over, I'm, 
<laughs> I could see it now. Like, I'm a pretty, like, I'm, it's easy for me to be the poster boy of things, right? It's like, I'm very charismatic. You know, I have my dreadlocks. I have like, you know, a nice little smile, charismatic, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, off the list. Yeah. Check it off the list. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's easy to use my image. You want to use my image. So there's been organizations and foundations that literally use my image for their profit. And they may not even let me know. Like, I remember one organization, I went and I performed for them at an event. And um, I knew it was videotaped and it was it was taking pictures and whatnot. And... I thought that it was going to be used for like a recap. You know, they have like a highlight video or something like that. And they did use that. And this is like in 2017. And then just like last year, I'm on LinkedIn. You know, I'm on LinkedIn. and I see uh, something pop up and it's literally like a pop-up grant for mental health and racial equity. And I see my face. Literally, I'm the only person with mic in hand. (laughs) And this is 5K, $5,000 to go this. And mind you, the same organization, I helped work with them before. Like, oh, that's such great work. I love what you're doing, da, 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 da. Actually, I think you could help and work with some of our young people. But I never got a call back for that, right? So that $5,000 could be a project that I could do. Like literally, we could have, I could have worked with CC and we could have done some work, you know what I mean? With the five grand and and, and support our initiative. So uh, I remember I, I, uh, I, took, I took the screenshot, whatnot, and then I, I posted on my on my IG. So I'm not going to name the organization, but you can check my IG. So I posted on my IG. <laughs> the path is there to follow. <laughs> yeah, if follow. You <laughs> but like, so in that moment, like, what are you feeling in your body? Is it anger? Is it like oh. shock? Like, uh, yeah, it's fury. Yeah. Fury and rage. So I want people to know, I think we get disconnected from, like, mm. it, we, we can name like the harm of it, but the way that it impacts our bodies and mm. that weight that we carry... I think like to draw specific attention to how institutions that get abstracted as these harmful colonial things, they're actually impacting us in our body. And that's a weight that we. That's huge, actually. And and yeah, you're right. Because I don't. Yeah. Like I was pacing in my apartment. I was pacing. I was livid. I was. I was just really, really angry. And I was also like calling people. <laughs> I just like yeah. just started calling. Looking for support. And, 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 yeah, yeah. And venting and, and just going in all this going off. And I, because even like, again, going for support, I was like, all right, let me post this on my IG. I post my IG like, hey, look what popped up on my LinkedIn, right? And my sister, the first person that messaged like, did that pop up with your face on it? And I'm like, yeah. And I, I actually explained this to her. I'm like, yeah, I performed at a thing. Um, but to be honest, they didn't pay me and give me any recognition. So I didn't know. And then people started like commenting like, yo, they should have paid you for that. Yo, talk to Carfax, da, 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 da. And then when I looked at my insights, it was like over 67 reshares. And my network is Black, Indigenous, people of color that's there. So they're very demographic that they're looking to reach out. I'm right there. So I'm like, wait a second. Like, why didn't you call me? You know me. I can actually help what you're doing. I, I, I genuinely can help what you're doing. I felt so, yeah, ripped off because I'm like, yo, this is my work. My life's work is in mental health and racial equity. Like my life's work is for this thing. And I was just so furious. I'm calling people. I'm calling people from other foundations that I have. Like, yo, how should I approach this? And the really frustrating part is... When I said I was going to speak to it and I was, I was speaking pretty brazen, I was like, yo, I will take down this organization. That's how I, <laughs> yeah. I legit burn was talking about. Burn it down. Yeah. <laughs> burn it down, right? <laughs> and I remember my mom and some people were like, just like, okay, calm down. Take cautious when I'm like, and that got me even more. Mad. I'm like, no, the fact that they get away with it, that I have to be tactful with how I have to address them yes. gets me even more mad. 
That's yeah. that's not even fair. But of course, I sent them a nice email. Hey, harmful. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry to bug. Just checking in. Uh, is that me? Is that uh, me? <laughs> I just want to. Maybe I missed an email consult from you. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it is funny because that's normally how I would respond back in the day if I wasn't in my power. It's like it, to me, I I dressed them very frankly. I was like, I'm Jermaine Henry. I performed on this date, and I was shocked and dismayed when I saw that my image was used. And um, I, it was used without my notification, without my permission, and without my recognition. And I said, um, who can I talk to about this? <laughs> Someone's going down for yeah, this. Exactly. I'm like, who can I talk to about this? And then uh, this is how I, I was like, I believe this can be a really good learning experience. <laughs> See, even then you're still being like cordial with them. Yeah. You're still, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. still hand-holding because, you know, we're not going to scare them off. But, but we're being firm. And that was strategic because within an hour, I got a reply back from the grant manager. And then within that time, I scheduled with the executive director and with his grant manager. And, um, and I brought allies. So I brought our friend Jess Bulldog <laughs> came through because I'm like, yo, it's not just for myself as a black person, but also indigenous young people, this happened. And this shouldn't happen ever again. Like, I was so mad. I'm like, no, this should never happen. This can't happen again. And um, while I'm doing my recon, I'm doing my research, I'm looking at their website and I go on their front page and I'm on the front page of their website, <laughs> literally flowing with mic in hand. I'm like, not only am I on the pop-up grant, I'm on the front page of the website and I click through and I go more on the website and on their public policy, I see JV, one of my, business, my late business partner who passed away at 26 years old, that we actually applied for grants for equity with them. So I'm grieving. I've been grieving for how long, right? Grieving is a, it's, it's a long process. So I'm crying and I'm literally like so angry and crying. Like, how can you even do this? Do you know how triggering this is not just for me, but our community? And you're going to, and my friend can't even speak for himself. He can't even speak for himself. So we set up the meeting and the meeting happened to be on the anniversaries of his passing. So I have a short fuse that day. I'll tell you that. So we get into getting on get onto the Zoom and I hop on a little late because I'm like, yeah, I need to breathe to get in here. And I get in, Jess is there with them and they're talking their small talk, whatnot. And then the, the executive director goes to me, so uh, Jermaine, you, you called us here. How do you want to do it? I'm like, all right, I got this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, all right, I got this. And I was like, uh, let's take a, let's just, can we take a couple deep breaths so we can get grounded in a moment? And, and he had the audacity. He was like, oh, we're all friends here. We don't need to. I'm like, even with my friends, I need to take a deep breath for difficult conversations. And we took a deep breath. And it's funny because after like, oh, yeah, I needed that. Yeah. And my questions were very frank. It's like, um, what is your media policy? And then also, what is this honor? Because they did say they have honorarium. They're, they're like, in the email back, they're like, we're going to take it down and we'll have honorarium for you, whatnot. And they said, sorry if this compromised your artistic integrity. Imagine that. And, it's, and that's a really important thing because in my community, if people see me of the poster boy for this organization that they don't trust. That's what I was trying. I was thinking like, that's like almost an endorse. It's implied endorsement of mm -hmm. you being like, this is a great org. Look at me. Oh, this is a great grant. Look at me. Like you can trust because we have a trusting working relationship. And you know that I would never put people in a position for harm. Mm. And if they, if I know that an institution has this reputation, I'm going to be like, this is how you navigate it to avoid. Mm -hmm. So for them to put you in that position, it's. It was tough. And I was really, I was really upset about it. Really, really upset about it. Cause like, I'm really intentional about the solidarity work I have with the indigenous community. Like I'm very intentional about that. So when you compromise that for me, I was just, 
So then I said, at, at one point, we went through, they, they shared a little of the answer. I was like, hey, can we have a braver space here? <laughs> oh I was like, yeah, sure. This is for you. Oh my God. And I just laid into them for five minutes. I just kind of went off and I, I, I said, hey, this, is, this can never happen again. And like, not until this moment did I have the courage to speak on how my late friend that just passed away is on your public policy page right now. And that's, disc- that's disgraceful. That's a shame. You should be ashamed of yourselves and not you as individuals, but as an institution. And this is how the system works. This is how it always goes. And if you're not going to change, and I don't see change in your policy, I don't change in your culture in the next six to 12 months, we will take you down. I, I just said it's shape. I'm to calling them, like, CBC. I'm yeah. calling, yeah. I have Toronto Star on. Yeah. Like, we have all that. I was just on the front page of the Metro and whatnot for breaking barriers, for brave space. I was literally about this. So, And then I, I ended it off, and I was like, um, you know, what comes to my mind right now and what gives me power to even speak to you right now is this quote from Maya Angelou. And she says, when you speak, when you speak, speak. Not that it's one of you, but that it's like 10,000 of your ancestors with you. And then I asked them, like, what side of history will you be on today? And then, um, and then Jess is like, yeah, Jermaine makes some good points. <laughs> <laughs> There's your ally just yeah, it, being like, like yeah. this in the background, like clapping. Yeah, like. <laughs> and then Jess really helped to like affirm and, and kind of explain to them about how this has actually happened as well in the Indigenous community as well with young people. And then... Yeah, so it was really cool to have that that aspect. Within a week, we had another conversation. They pay me a little honorarium, and we're still in conversation to do things. Um, but yeah, for me, it's I really felt taken advantage of, and 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 the ignorance. And I was like, Yo, I don't need your apology. I I need you to change your actions. And I said, I'm like, no longer will you see me as a grantee. I am a service provider. We are partners, and that's how it will work. So, yeah, that and. I give thanks. I think it's just like um, my ancestors that are guiding me. And I think that this is the path. But I also, I want other young people to feel empowered. Like, and I told them like, you work for us. You serve us. And look, if I look at your website and I see that your values are about equity and whatnot, and this is how you're going to treat me. And I, and I this is what I said to them. I said, look, you could, you could see this as, you could see it as two things. I could see it as two things, this incident. And you're making that choice. I could see it as a strategic move because you see that Jermaine Henry he works in the community with Black, Indigenous, people of color. He's known in mental health and racial equity, whatnot. And you know that because it's my image, you know I'm going to be able to reach the people that you want for the grants, right? We could see it that way. Or I could see it as tokenism. Because you didn't notify me, I didn't get paid for it, and now I have to come back and say this? So, and they're like, oh, no, no, no. But like, no, no, no. I don't care about apologies. It's, it's more actions, right? It's like the difference between intentions. Just don't. Don't do it again. Like, don't do it. But yeah, I, we're past. I didn't mean to do that. I yeah. Think. <laughs> yeah. It, everybody should at this point know better. You know, like there isn't really an excuse. There's not an excuse for what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and also like there's not an excuse. And also, oh, man, y'all are really getting me into like, just be free. Is <laughs> like I, I think it's incompetence. Mm. Because if you actually want to move forward in this work and community and you actually want to make impact, there was opportunity there. You can build relationships. You can check, oh, I wonder what's going on with Jermaine. I wonder what he's into now. And when you're trying to get media consent, you can actually call people and build and know what they're up to. And then maybe now there's more work we can do together. But they lost that opportunity in that moment, you know? So, yeah. And I know we have those experiences where like people will, will, will take our ideas and run with it and those kind of things. And to me now, oh man, I have so many stories. I, I take screenshots. I, I have evidence of all this stuff now. Because I don't care about legal. 
even if you're in the legal right, morally and ethically, you're wrong. And I think that's the one thing I would say about philanthropy in our sector and just our world, but there's no morals. Like the moral compass and the ethics are not there. <laughs> We're poor in morals. We're poor in spirit. And it's, and that's where they need more wealth. That's where there needs to be more support is like, how are you, how are you learning how to be more dignified and have dignity for people and respect? And build- wow. There's like, thank you for sharing that story. Cause that was really something that like, people need to hear that because these are things that do happen. And we need to talk about, well, how do we also teach some of our community members and our younger ones how to protect themselves? Right. And so like, there's a few things that struck with me that you said about strategic responses. Holy shh. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. The amount of times that like, I, I loop, I get stuck in a loop of having to be upset about the fact that I'm thinking strategically around how I have to care for someone else's feelings when they didn't do the same. And that is so upsetting because it happens in, it happens in personal life. It happens in work life. And that happens all the time to people who are marginalized in a lot of ways. Right. And you just, cause you, you have to worry about what happens, what happened yesterday, what happens tomorrow and what happens in 10 years based mm-hmm. on your response. You have to be hypervigilant about it. Oh my God. So just like, that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing I just wanted to touch on is like an, ex, an example of something that happened with, we spoke, I don't think we spoke about it on our, we've been doing a lot of talking today. We spoke about it on our <laughs> last um, podcast episode with um, Kendra Kerr on MLSE. And, uh, you know, we have a grant with them and they had sent me their grant agreement, which was like a very basic grant agreement. And in one of the clauses in it was, that they were allowed to utilize any of our photos anywhere that they wanted to and that they had ownership over it based on this. And I was like, this, everything is fine, but can we take that out? And they were like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that because it's just, it's so generalized, right? Like it's so, it's already created and it's something they've been using for years and years and years and they don't think about changing that, but they were, it was very easy to change it. Yeah. But I, I had to have the knowledge, the ability to read and understand those words to know what they meant about that. And that happens to all of our young ones that are signing these contracts and they don't know what some of these things mean and what it means to their work. And then all of a sudden they're exploited. Yeah. Our RIP is always so vulnerable. I think about that often because I'm someone that has a lot of different frameworks and and, um, intellectual property. And that reminds me of a... (laughs) I remember so same retreats that I was doing those retreats, those mental health retreats and whatnot. And uh, I remember one year, I'm going to be, I saw the contract and I was reading the contract and it was speaking about pretty much anything that we come out of that, that they'll own anything that's kind of in there. Any Anything that's in like the harvesting, the documentation, da, da, da. And I was like, nah, I'm bringing my IBLV framework. I'm bringing my Braver framework and different things. And no, like, I think you need to take that out. And it was, it was a headache for them to go back and forth to figure it out. And I was also like, you also need to pay me a deposit. Da, 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 da. But that shook them up. And now I feel bad for the next person. Now they have a little more, a lot tighter, like, oh, okay. Um, we can only pay you this time, da, da, da. And then I remember the person, they went and they, uh, the executive director was asking, because there's something about like, uh, like marijuana use or different drugs use, but none like, oh, like you're not going to use marijuana. So like that. I'm like, wow you see that I'm a dreadlocked black man and you're just going to question about oh my if God. I'm cool with that. 
and the microaggressions that happen all the time. Oh, and I was like, God. oh, okay. All right. That was the last time I worked with them. You're like, okay, we're dealing with one of those. Yeah, you know yeah. What? <laughs> that was the last time. No, no, no. So those microaggressions happen. And I think um, the intellectual property, I need, we need to figure out that part about how do we protect ourselves in legal. And we don't have the, we don't have, I don't have a war chest. I don't have the money for a retainer for a lawyer, right? We often don't have those resources. And, and it's so funny because they're trying to, they're risk adverse and they're thinking about liabilities. But what about my liability? What about how risky it is for me to even work with you for my mental health? Like, I just got harmed in this cons- like interview consulting piece before I even got hired by yeah, you. exactly. Like, Legit. My li- yeah, liability. So it's, it's, a, it's a really messed up. Um, it's really flipped. It is. But like, it's also, this is how it's been done. Right? So people are just kind of stuck at like, okay, this is just how things go. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a reluctancy to change some of those things that actually are really easy to change. You know, like, like taking out that clause in... Yeah, a contract that yeah. that that's one piece of harm reduction, mm. just one little piece. But that could mean a whole load of of you know less harm on one person, like you experienced. And and but you're speaking too about like intellectual property. You know, like we OIP has had in past. Um, I had our program replicated, and in the same breath, our our core funding that we were um, needing be taken away. And so like, you know, we have these conversations a lot about like, even with this podcast, let's say, you know, here we are sharing all of this really rich, valuable knowledge. And it's, there's a point to it. You know, we want to be sharing this. I want to be telling these stories. There's also this like fine line of like, well, what if we share too much and that it can also be taken. But you had said something to me earlier that was like, Oh man, like I do really need to think about how I ch- how change how I'm thinking because you were like, well, they're never going to do it as good as you. Yeah. You know, and I was like, what? It's true. Yeah. They don't like, cause look, OIP, the, like OIP is such a small organization, right? It's a very small organization, but OIP has such a reputation in the community, right? Has such strong relationships with the community and trust that the community has, right? And experience. No one can take that away from you. No one can actually even replicate that. Like these institutions can try that, but it's not going to work out. You know, it's not going to work on the, and so having confidence in that and like, oh no, our community is where our strength comes in. Our experience is where our strength comes in because we're talking about philanthropy. We're talking about the welfare of human humanity, the welfare of our planet. Who doesn't have more experience than community and, and even, even more the indigenous community, <laughs> right? Who doesn't have more experience of taking care of our land and taking care of people? And I think that is the strength to, to rely on. That is the strength to look on. And people may try. They're going to try to duplicate it. And then it's, everything comes to light. Yeah. yeah. Eventually. And it's like <laughs> having patience. That's the tough part is having the patience because it's like it's very frustrating. And it's like demoralizing when you put in all this work. And then they just take away your funding. They take your program. And then they just do ish with it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like there's I have so many like thoughts running through my head about it too. And it's like, I, I find it really um, w- within sort of my own leadership role in some of these things is like, if someone came for one of the youth that I serve, I would turn into the Hulk, right? <laughs> yeah. But Tia but, Bear. But, yeah. Yeah. but then if they come for me, I like for whatever reason, I'm not thinking about protecting myself in that space or having confidence. And so I think that's something that I see happen a lot with uh, people who are in leadership roles um, BIPOC people who are in leadership roles of like, you will become this monster to take care of 
and protect your community members. But for whatever reason, we don't do the same thing for ourselves. You want to know the reason? Why? It's kind of sad. Don't. (laughs) No. (laughs) Tell me. It's trauma. (laughs) Right? It's like, and then it's serious, it's trauma because it's a trauma response. It's like, if we saw someone else, our trauma response to be codependent and us to fix them. We're going to fix them and disregard ourselves and neglect ourselves because we're not worthy of that. Right? And it's like, it's, I know it's almost like it, it, and it's tough because why I had to go back? Why I literally had to go back and, and literally leave the sector for a while and just take care of myself. I still was working, but just not publicly because I've had to do a lot of trauma work. I had to really, in my body, get the shit out of my body. I don't know if I'm supposed to swear, but- Yeah, swears um, are good. I just said fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to like literally like deep therapy, deep out of my body. Like I did a whole, my whole tour, my, one of my projects was called PTSD. <laughs> Passy struggles deciphered was was what it was, and I went around to Thunder Bay, Winnipeg, Sault Ste. Marie, and I was doing you know doing my hip hop, but as well as I was having conversations about community healing and community having a vision for your community because that's what it is to me. It's like we have to be in deep healing. We need to be in deep um, processing, deep purging of all of this fucked up shit that's in us, and reconcile that. Hey. We've been mistreated over and over and over for centuries. Of course, we're going to have a trauma response. Of course, we're going to act like this. Like, it's like we have to, to survive, right? And the hardest part is we're that generation where we have to do the trauma work for the previous generation and our next generation. We have like, it's like tough. It's like we have to as leaders so that my nieces and nephews, that they can thrive. You know what I mean? Like my mom, my grandparents, they got to survive. I have the ability to live, but I need my nieces and nephews to thrive, you know? And what sucks is that it takes so much sacrifice and it takes that we have to be the bigger person. And it's not fair. It gets me really, like I'm a very, the reason why I was so depressed, I realized after therapy is because I was suppressing a lot of my emotions. I was so, so angry, but because I'm in such a vulnerable position, I can't express my anger. Now I'm having a little more opportunity because I have more stability that I can actually express that anger because the anger is important to have that out. It's valid. You're worthy to have that, right? And so I think that's what it is. I think that's what, as leaders, we don't have the space to even deal with our trauma because we're just working on these people and or we're just working and supporting other people. But I think the bravest thing a leader can do is step back and take care of themselves. Yes, Thea, take those days off <laughs> and stop replying to emails when you're up. Do not disturb. Yeah. <laughs> Airplane mode. I'm yeah. like listening to him and I'm like, I, you know, <laughs> like looking okay, at her. Yeah, like, she's giving like, me the eye. <laughs> and I, I, I hear you. I, but I also the other thing too, um, I, I think it's, it's Jess is, is a person who I lean on as well. Mm. And I ended up having to call her in like complete crisis like a couple weeks ago. She was like, okay, we're going to figure this out. And I was like, thank you for even just saying that. Because like sometimes you even just need that, yeah. that, that reassurance of like, just path forward here. Honestly, big up to Jess. We have to really give Jess. Jess needs another reward, uh, award or something. Because honestly, like. Agreed. It makes me emotional even just thinking about her. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. I think, you know, the ones who are walking the path above, you know, ahead of us. But then the ones who are walking side by side in arms with us, it's like, we're doing this together. And, yeah. like, and I like this podcast, this is like oral story, storytelling, 
storytelling, Legit. like oral history. Legit. This is the way that it was done. And this is the way that our truth is going to get out there and it's going to be permanent. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that. There's no way that this can be erased. As soon as you press the upload, there's no way this will be erased. Oh, it's also terrifying. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying for sure. No, and that's the scary part, but also it's like, yes, because I think what's the this is the terrible. Oh, this is gonna be scary for y'all for sure. Is that why you just keep dropping these? I'm sorry, <laughs> but like we're 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 gonna live more and more, and this can be scary for all the funders. This can be scary for all of our oppressors, the the state, and everything. But we're getting into a very transparent world. You you cannot hide anything. We're heard. 24 hours a day we're being recorded and heard on our phones and all these type of things, right? So you have to be able to live with your mistakes, learn from them and go forward. We're not perfect. Anyone that tries to say that you're perfect and try to hold a hold face is like, no, that's that's wrong. We're going to make mistakes, but how are you, what are you doing now? You know what I mean? Like, how are you repairing that? What are you going forward? So even if I make a mistake on this, it's like, okay, I know my character. I know my values. I know what I'm about and what I'm going to do. And I think, the more we can rely on our integrity and our accountability, that is our strength. That is our strength. Because that's what they don't have. They don't have integrity. <laughs> they say all these things. Literally, every single strategic plan, every single mission statement is a farce. It's all a lie. They lie to us constantly. So to me, it's like, I feel so empowered. That's what we talk about power. Is like, I feel empowered because I know I'm about what I say. I have receipts. People know. For years. And people have tried to tarnish my name. I've been blacklisted for so long. People don't call me back. It doesn't even matter to me. I'll still be doing this work. Don't don't hire me. I don't care. Yeah. I'll still do it. I'll, I'll find a way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I have like I have I'm I'm having a lot of feelings. <laughs> I just Beautiful. have a lot of feelings. <laughs> she doesn't even go here. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. But I, uh, I just, yeah, this is, I'm very excited for this to be coming out and to be hearing what people have to say. And I, and I, I just, I relate to so many things that you, you say, and I have to, I've never told you this either, but like, I do see some of the things on, I, I'm really not a parent, like, um, around on Facebook or, or, or social media. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I, I, um, purposefully have stopped sharing things for the sake of just people not being able to keep tabs on me. Yeah, yeah, for right? sure. Um, but I do go on and I see what other people are posting and, and things like that. And, you know, out of all the people who do share like words of wisdom, like those kinds of like memes or, or photos with like yeah, the, the quotes, the, and, stuff. The quotes yeah. and stuff, for whatever reason, I'm like, you post these things that relate to me very specifically in, in those times. And I'm like, he knows, <laughs> <laughs> he knows. And then I have to put my phone down. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I think I, I am I going to be okay? Like That's so beautiful. That's but so, yeah. I want to I want to say I want to appreciate that because not a lot of people like it. It those things don't tend to speak to me. They yeah. don't. They don't. I don't really. But for whatever reason, you you post things in a timely manner for me, mm-hmm. and that has mean, meant a lot to me. So thank you for that. Beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> want me to tell you the reason why? Oh my god! <laughs> Another one. Because I am following you. <laughs> he. I do know. <laughs> And it's and it's it's a very in, it's very intentional and it's it's actually spiritual. Anytime that I post those things, I just do it off of intuition. I do it off of spirit, and I do it off of knowing that it's gonna reach the one person that it needs to. So it's not about me. Like I, I truly believe that it's our ancestors that are speaking to you. Like my ancestors, whoo, my spirit guides, they're all around, and they really make sure that they touch people because people in my network 
what I realized, everyone that follows me are powerhouses in their own right. They're doing a lot of great work in community and we need to be protected. And if those words of encouragement are, are, are a form of protection of your spirit, you know what I mean? Because you need to be able to hear that and those times, so it's not even me. Like it's me for sure because I'm I'm pressing click. But <laughs> but yeah, so you're the was, vessel. Yeah, I'm the vessel exactly. You know, and I think the more and more that we just kind of um, honor our ancestors and honor the spirit, that that this is spiritual work. You know, and I think um, the spirit will move how it needs to move. And I'm trying to as much as like I think it's very easy for people to see JermaineHenry.ca for me to and see my like charismatic personality and think like I'm very egotistical. Like from it's easy for people to see that. But it's, to me, it's ego. One, I have a healthy ego, I believe. But also, it's not about ego. It's about service. And if we do things in that spirit, then it's going to touch the right people. It's not about, I always say it's not, it's significance over scale. That's what I care about, is how significant is my work. I don't need millions of people to hear me and all that, which probably eventually will happen. But it needs to be significant. And if it's not significant, I don't even want to, I don't want to do it. That's like a philosophy that should be embraced by the sector who mm. are very impacted. Like, with their deliverable the numbers? Yeah. Nah, yeah, you're right. Because they're like, how many youth or, you know, and that's totally just scale. Scale, 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 scale. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. That went by really fast. Nice. <laughs> so, which means I think we were super, you know, just engulfed in the conversation and the flow. I'm just wondering, you know, what are some of your hopes for the sector just to leave, what are some of your hopes for the sector and what's one thing that they can do pragmatically, practically right now? Because a lot of people are like, oh, well, this is so hard. Or like, you're asking for such a big change. Like, what's something that they can do tomorrow to not be so terrible <laughs> to our <laughs> communities? So hope for the sector and maybe one thing that they can do to, to change or move in the right direction. Yeah, I love it. Um, not that you haven't offered a million things already, <laughs> but just, you know. It's good to summer and get well, that I'm, takeaway. <laughs> I'm going to use this uh, selfishly, actually. I'm going to use this selfishly. Like, I think, um, for instance, like Young Leader Circle, for instance, Young Leader Circle was birthed out of YSI Collaborative, Youth Social Infrastructure Collaborative. Youth Social Infra Infrastructure Collaborative was birthed out of Ontario Trillion Foundation and Layla Foundation doing a report. Violetta did a report on youth organizing. And that was in 2009. And now look where we've come. I think very tangibly is take your capacity building funds, right? And give like $100,000 to a group like Young Leader Circle for them to do capacity building for the actual community, for their own peers. As well as for, let's say in here, uh, like Street Voices in Toronto, there's like a media company, right? Hire them to be able to do media work and support of your grantees. Like, I just think it's like le leverage our skills but give us the resources for it. <laughs> give us the resources to do it, you know? And um, that's one tangible thing that they, I think, and I hope. And yeah, I think that's the hope. The hope is like that the grassroots is more involved in the decision-making and in the delivery of, of, of our work. Like in the middle, in the process. So mm -hmm. we're not just receiving at the end, mm -mm. but, you know, creating that, you know, that community that's benefiting in all sorts of ways, not just getting funds to do an event or doing, you know, something but yeah I've like getting them embedded within the structure itself so that they can benefit financially and have some stability <laughs> exactly and um and I guess if we're talking about like the big wigs and those those folks <laughs> it's um yeah and, and really because one conversation that I'm in right now um 
is around non-qualified donees, which is a trash name. CRA, change that, please. That's really like tough. But yeah, how to be able to figure out how can we get direct money from these from from these foundations straight to grassroots? And there is, you can do that. Research it. There's, yeah, do their research. Uh, talk to people like Laidlaw. They've done some stuff around that. Talk to Inspirit Foundation. They're doing some really great work. Uh, the four black uh, foundation for black communities doing incredible work. Like, uh, sorry, I know we got to go. But what they are doing is incredible. They literally got a 1.2 million capital transfer straight from Layla to our black foundation. Also did that with Inspirit. We need more of that. Just give us money. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, just give our foundations millions of dollars. Yeah, that's one, I guess not simple, but that's one tangible thing that they can do. Talk to your lawyers, figure it out. Yeah, and I think, you know, to just put it in those terms is these are the metrics to which we will be able to hold them accountable. Mm. Because it's not like you can feign ignorance anymore. It's like this podcast exists. This resource exists. Here are things you can do. And so, you know, we're like, we're going to, we're not going to allow that anymore <laughs> because it should, it shouldn't. That's not, there's too much out here to help for people to continue to enact harm and violence. And I am willing to help. So holler at me at heyo at jermainhenry.ca. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, check out. Yeah, definitely like check out my website, jermainhenry.ca, because to me, this is like my life's mission now. It's really like, how am I connecting the grassroots with the foundations and the grant makers? And how are we having a meaningful, meaningful conversation, but also meaningful action going forward? And, and I'm ready for it. You know what I mean? Like, I'll, I'll, talk to, I'll talk to the bullshitters and I'll still talk to you and I'll be nice to you and kind to you because to me, the agenda for me is how are we serving our communities? <laughs> like, so whatever your ego, whatever that, whatever my ego, I don't care about that. Like, how are we actually serving the cause? So yeah, just check me out. Um, and yeah, that's that's it. Just check me out. And I just wanted to add to you, and maybe this will be a space for you to come back and join another conversation around the qualified donee status. Um, I, you know, the the history around that because there's there's a big conversation about that and to really understand what it means, you know, what, how has this, this piece of policy been used against communities um, and diving into like that, that whole thing. Cause we deal with that on a yearly basis because, you know, we're, we're trying to provide grants to youth directly, but of course, due to regulation, we can't. And so, you know, this is a big conversation. And so we're going to have um, episodes in the yeah, future around that. So, yeah. And, sure. and, and perhaps, you know, like we'll figure out if there's other, a few other people who are, are diving very deeply into it to come in I and think join it might that have to conversation. Be a series. That conversation's pretty big, huge. It's yeah, it's I think it might one. have to be a series. But uh, that's coming. So maybe we can invite you back uh, if you want to this come again. This is so much fun. This is oh, really yeah, good. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. I had a lot, a lot of fun. Okay, good. I need to do more of these. I need to do more of these. Right. <laughs> right yeah. on. Well, thank you so much. I think, you know, our name, Communities of Wealth, we wanted it to capture not only financial wealth, but wealths of knowledge and what I'm walking away from today thinking about, you know, our commitment to wanting thriving communities and, you know, communities of wealth. That could mean we have so many communities that are thriving that we're wealthy in well-being. And, you know, that's something that I'm walking away from today, having listened and learned from you. So thank you for that piece of wisdom. And it's a bit of a tradition around here to do our group me guetch at the end of our episodes. So <laughs> on three, I'm going to be corny like that and do it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> One, two, three. Me guetch. Bomb P. Thanks for listening. Bomb P. Peace.